Hello, this is Steve Robinson, and I'd like to welcome you to a podcast from Sadie Records. And this is a part of a continuing series of podcasts. And what we do, every time Sadie Records comes out with a new release, we have an opportunity to discuss the album with the artist involved, sometimes the whole ensemble, sometimes just one member of the ensemble. And for this one, we're going to be featuring a new album from the Pacifica Quartet. This world-renowned, wonderful quartet is getting close to 25 years we're very happy to have with us Sibby Bernhardt. And the members of the group are uh, Samine Ganatra Violin, Sibby Second Violin, Masumi Pear Rostad Viola, and Brandon Vemos Cello. Uh, Sibby, it's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. This is a very interesting album because it features the Brahms Piano Quintet, and it is paired with the String Quartet Number no. 1 by Robert Schumann. And you have quite a guest joining you on piano, none other than Menachem Pressler. What was it like working with uh, such a legendary artist? It was absolutely wonderful, and we actually have quite a long history with Menachem. We first met him, I think it was in 2006, when we were engaged to play the Schumann Piano Quintet at University of Chicago, and we were, of course, extremely excited to be working with him. What completely caught us by surprise and was so inspiring was his amazing commitment and how he wanted to rehearse and rediscover the Schumann Piano Quintet, which he had, of course, recorded and played for 50 years or more. And it was just so inspiring to us, and we learned so much from him. We all feel very strongly, since we were students, that he is hands down our most important and inspiring mentor since we entered the professional world. Since then, we've had the pleasure of working with him actually many times. We've played the piano quintets with him, and we have played with him all over America and in Canada. We played with him in Japan, and we played with him at Wigmore Hall. So we have a very close relationship with him. And he is not only a great collaborator and a great mentor, but he's also been a very generous and good friend to us. And now we are both on the faculty at Indiana University, where he has been on the faculty, I think, for, what, 60 years or something like that. He's been there a long time. <laughs> yeah. We also have with us, Sibby, the president of Sadie Records, Jim Ginsburg. Jim? Yeah, Sibby, if I recall correctly, at that first concert, you actually played the scherzo of the Brahms with him as an encore. Is that right? Yes, it, it was the scherzo, or it may have been the slow movement of the Brahms, but we certainly played a movement of the Brahms piano quintet with him as an encore. And actually, the way that it came about that we recorded the quintet with him was that we were playing a concert with him in New Orleans. And we were playing the Brahms Piano Quintet. And during intermission, or after we played it, he asked us if we would be interested in recording the Brahms Piano Quintet with him. And of course, we were interested. And then he said something that we just found amazing. Basically, every touring quartet, I would say, in Europe and America has actually had a relationship with Menachem, and most of the quartets, they sort of claim that Menachem taught them <laughs> in certain ways, for instance, the Brahms Piano Quintet, but he told us that he had actually never recorded the Brahms Piano Quintet, mm. and we just found that to be just spectacular. We felt extremely honored that he would ask us and excited, so we contacted our longtime partner, Jim Ginsberg, and that's another thing I also want to talk about is just our great collaboration with Sadie Records in terms of uh, repertoire and, and discussing pieces and things like that. He was right away on board, lucky for us and for the world, because now Menachem is 90 
four years old, and he's amazing. He's still traveling the world and playing concerts, but now we have a document of him playing the Brahms Piano Quintet, and that will outlive all of us. I should note uh, for anybody who might not know that Menachem Bressler is a founding member of the Beaux-Arts Trio and was its pianist for the entire 51 years of that amazing chamber ensemble and has recorded both as a pianist with string quartets in quintets and some quintets as the Beaux-Arts Trio Plus Two. So Mm -hmm. that he hadn't recorded the Brahms yet is really remarkable. Menachem was born in 1923, and the Pacifica Quartet is about 23 years old. Do I have that about right? Mm-hmm. You were formed in 1994. Yeah. Uh, it didn't take you long to win the Nomburg Chamber Music Award in 1998. In 2002, you were honored with the Chamber Music America's Cleveland Quartet Award and the appointment to Lincoln Center's CMS II. In 2006, you were awarded the highly prestigious Avery Fisher Career Grant, and you were only the second chamber music ensemble so honored in the long history of that grant. And then in 2006, you were on the cover of Gramophone Magazine, and in 2009, and I'll stop there because we keep going on, the quartet was named Ensemble of the Year by Musical America, the Bible of classical performing arts industry in the United States. You guys have quite a rich background, and yet here you are recording the Brahms Quintet in F minor, Opus 34, with this legendary artist. You've already indicated he's been playing this piece, I'm sure, before any of you were born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what insights did he bring to it that were new to you? How did he shape your interpretation or your view of the piece? That's actually a very good question, and it's hard to pinpoint like a specific thing. But with him, he plays with such great transparency and just with such great beauty. He shapes so unusually well. And playing with him, which is so unusual in terms of playing with pianists, we actually all sort of often jokingly talk about when we play with him, we feel like we're playing actually with a fifth string player because just his sound production and his legato playing, he always brings that to everything that we play with him. And also this great awareness of character and shape and being so in tune with each other we rehearse every day and we feel like we are so in tune with each other, but then somehow <laughs> it goes to a different level with him. Also, the, the tempos were more expansive than we were used to playing. But after we got used to it, it just seems somehow so wise and it just seems so appropriate and just so right. Uh-huh. And since then, now we just cannot play it actually any other way. And when we played with other pianists, they're surprised about our expansive tempos. But he has a way of just bringing such integrity and commitment and just beauty to everything that he does, if that answers your question. Yes, I actually, I wanted to ask you about that. The tempo, you use the word expansive. I would say it's a magisterial uh, mm-hmm. and stately. And he brought that viewpoint to the recording? Yeah. I mean, it was never discussed. It sort of just happened as we were talking about just getting the right sonority. As musicians, when we are trying to convey characters, the only tool we have is the sound, the type of sounds that we're using and how we connect things. And so tempo was never actually discussed per se. It wasn't like we had a metronome marking or we talked about this should be faster or slower. It was so character-based and sound-based that the tempo that we ended up playing was natural for what the type of interpretation that we were going for. And actually, I haven't really been paying attention to the tempo. It was just somebody brought that up recently, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, maybe it is a little more expensive than other Brahms that we played. But like I said, it just seemed very natural in rehearsing with him because it's so character-based and gesture-based and 
shape-based that the tempo, like I said, we'd never discussed if it should be faster or slower. It was more just we fell into this tempo to find the sound to convey the moods that we were going after. I want to add a story that came to mind since we were talking about tempo so much. When I was a student, when I was a teenager, I was having some coachings with a American violinist, Paul Sukowski, and he is mainly known, especially in the 1670s, he was like the avant-garde violinist. He like premiered John Cage concertos and and was this amazing mind, especially when it came to new music. And I was actually coaching with him the Brahms G minor piano quartet. And we played the first movement through for him. And then his first comment was, he said, you know, I once worked with somebody who studied with somebody, who studied with somebody, who studied with somebody who knew Joachim. And according to Joachim, Brahms had told Joachim, who told somebody, who told somebody, who told somebody, who um, <laughs> was the teacher of this person who, who Paul Sukowski had um, worked with, that Brahms wanted his first movements always to be slower than people thought. So that's something there. <laughs> well, that's uh, not an original instrument uh, <laughs> situation. It's an original interpretation by the guy who wrote it. Well, Sibby, we're going to uh, begin with the first movement of the Piano Quintet in F minor, Opus 34. It's not marked uh, magisterial. It's marked Allegro Non Troppo. We're going to hear just an excerpt from it, and we're talking with uh, Sibby Bernardson, who is the second violin of the Pacifica Quartet. Uh, he's joined by first violin Simin Ganatra, Masumi Perostad Viola and Brendan Vemos Cello, and they are joined by none other than Menachem Pressler on this new CD recording. You can rush to your computer and buy it by going to cdrecords.org. That's C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org. Let's listen now to an excerpt from the opening movement of the Piano Quintet in F minor, Opus 34 by Brahms.
We've just heard an excerpt from the opening movement of the Piano Quintet in F Minor, Opus 34 by Brahms, performed on a brand new CD release, CD Records. That's C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, where you can find an entire catalog of wonderful recordings from this nonprofit label. And this performance featured the Pacifica Quartet and Menachem Pressler. The members of the quartet, Simin Ganatra, violin, Sibi Bernardson, violin, Masumi Pierrostad, viola, and Brandon Vemos, cello. And they were joined by Menachem Pressler. And we've had the great opportunity to be talking with Sibi. Sibi, that was very stately and uh, magisterial and very beautifully performed. Thank you. I wanted to talk just a bit. We gave a brief overview of some of the highlights of the quartet's history. You were formed, as we said at the beginning, in 1994. How were you formed? Where did you guys meet? We actually have a long history. Actually, Simin and I, we met in college. So I grew up in Iceland, and then I moved to America for college. And both of us were studying with the same violin teachers, and we became friends and started actually playing together basically right away. And those violin teachers are Almeida and Roland Vemos, who are Chicago-based and have taught many of the top violins of the nation and actually have taught many recording artists for CD Records. And they are the parents of our cellist, Brandon Vemos. So the three of us met through them. What college were you going to? Simin and I were at Oberlin Conservatory. The Vemos were teaching there at the time. And Brandon was away for college. He was at Eastman and then later at Yale. But he would come back over Thanksgiving or spring break. And so we became friends and we started playing tree music. And then we spent some summers together, the three of us. So we started playing together basically as teenagers and we're friends first and then we play a lot together and then Masumi and I we were at a music festival this one summer and we were just randomly put in a string quartet together this was the Norfolk Chain Music Festival and so we spent the entire summer learning three string quartets and we became very good friends and you know we liked each other's playing etc but he was living in New York at the time and then when the quartet when the Pacifica needed a violist this is back in 2001 I contacted Masumi, and he came to Chicago and spent a couple of days with us, and it was just the right fit. So we have been in this formation since 2001, and it's actually kind of interesting to think about if you look at all the touring quartets in the world. We are actually now... There's only one actively touring string quartet that has an older membership than we do, and that's the Brentano Quartet because their cellist joined in 2000, <laughs> and they've been playing with his memberships since then. So we are now, as far as I know, we're the second oldest touring string quartet because the Emerson and Takas, they have actually more recent member changes. So that's actually kind of interesting, I find, because we still consider ourselves not that old. <laughs> when you say old, you mean in terms of years together, not in terms yes, of actual together. chronological exactly. age yes, of yes, the players. Yes, 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 as a membership, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you guys are still pretty young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when, when you're playing with Menachem, you, you might qualify for uh, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that's a fascinating background, and so really, there's only been one personnel change in 23 years. Uh, two. Two. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Sibi, we're going to listen now to an excerpt from the third movement of the Piano Quintet in F minor, Opus 34 by Brahms. This is Mark Scherzo Allegro. Anything you want to tell us about your approach to it or anything that happened in the recording session that might be of interest? It's interesting that he marked Scherzo because the Scherzo was derived from the minuet in the classical period. And then 
Haydn turned the Minuet into a scherzo, which was a joke. And so his scherzos are very funny and, and surprising and full of wit. And then Beethoven took that same scherzo and made it dramatic. And then Brahms takes those scherzos as well. And this in particular is, is not funny. It's actually extremely serious and very dramatic, and which I then think sets the stage for later scherzos, like scherzos of Mahler's and Shostakovich, which are anything but funny, but more tragic and, and you know sometimes even suicidal. But this scherzo is just brilliant in its writing and the usage of how the piano and the strings completely play off each other with these great rhythmic gestures. And it's one of the great movements or exciting movements, I think, in the chain music literature. And I would say the slower tempo here really works well to build the suspense and the drama with that very dark opening with the plucked cello. And then eventually it explodes into the main theme. I think it's extremely effective. Yeah, and there's also the section where you should be hearing like a composite rhythm of just running 16th notes, just like da 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 But you have like two voices or three voices playing dum, ba-bum, ba-bum. And then you have other two voices playing ba-bum, 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 like, you know, off the, on the second and third 16th notes. And when it's just right and just perfect, the effect is so powerful. But if it's not, if it's a little bunched or a little bun even, or even actually sometimes when it's too fast, you just cannot appreciate the power of this composite rhythm. That was our approach. We felt it would lack power and excitement if it was too dancey or tossed off. So listen for that right before the trio section. That's a section that I'm talking about. Well, let's listen then to this not too dancey excerpt from the third movement, the scherzo of this quintet in F minor, Opus 34 by Johannes Brahms, performed by the Pacifica Quartet and Menachem Pressler. Thank you. 
That was an excerpt from the scherzo, the third movement of the Piano Quintet in F minor, Opus 34 by Brahms, performed for us on a brand-new CD release. That's C-E-D-I-L-L-E, CDRecords.org, where you can rush to your computer or your smartphone or your dumb phone and buy this CD, because it's a marvelous CD featuring the Pacifica Quartet with Menachem Pressler. And we're talking with Sibby Bernhardson, who is the second violin of the Pacifica Quartet. And you said earlier, Sibby, that although Menachem Pressler has probably performed this piece a gazillion times, maybe a gazillion plus one, this is the first time he's ever recorded it, and he approached you about it. And this is quite an historic recording in that sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said earlier, we're just so thrilled to be able to partner with him to document him playing the Brahms Piano Quintet that will live with us forever. And the second piece on this album, the uh, flip side, as we used to say, is a piece by Robert Schumann, the string quartet number one in A minor, opus 41, number one. It's an interesting pairing. How did you decide to pair the Brahms and the Schumann? What was your thinking on that? Well, there are actually several reasons. I guess the obvious one from the outside is Schumann was such a mentor to Brahms, and they had such a special and loving and respectful relationship. So that pairing makes sense. But then also for us, there was the fact that the first piece that we ever played with Menachem was the Schumann Piano Quintet. And we couldn't consider recording the Schumann Piano Quintet because I think he's already recorded it twice, so that wasn't an option. But then there was also should I say, a romantic or a kind of a emotional or nostalgic reason that the quartet wanted to record this piece because this is one of the first pieces we actually learned together. And in the very early stages of our careers, this was the piece that we would perform as much as we could. It's been in our repertoire on and off the entire duration of our careers. And it's one of the great chamber pieces of Schumann. And when I say one of the great chamber pieces of Schumann, then I can almost say it's one of my favorite chamber pieces of Schumann, which is also saying it's one of my favorite chamber pieces in the world because Schumann is just has a special place in my heart. I adore Schumann. I adore his music. So when we were trying to find a pairing that would make sense on every level, the conceptual level and practical level, and then piece that we just have lived with and just love and wanted to record. We thought of this. We approached Jim, and he agreed and saw the merits of the pairing. So there we are. We've toured it so much. And then we actually hadn't been touring it for a few years. And then we brought it back up and played, of course, a couple of concerts on it before we recorded it. And it was just amazing. It's such a sign of a great piece that we've been living with it all our careers and we've known it so well. We've performed it so much. We've coached it and taught it. And then when we started preparing it for the recording, because the type of preparation you do for recording is just at a different level than for a concert, because the issues that you have to take care of when you're preparing for a recording session are different than things that you have to take care of for the performance hall. It was just so refreshing to come back to that piece, and I feel we were rediscovering things in the music that maybe we hadn't thought of even four years ago. So it's a spectacular piece, and it has one of the most stunningly beautiful openings where I feel like the spirit of Bach is floating all over his usage of counterpoint. Then it has just a complete confession of love in the third movement to his wife, Clara, because he wrote most of his chamber music right after he got married, his three-string quartets and his piano quartet and piano quintet. And it's just so 
genuinely and pure and sincerely beautiful, which I think is quite special. And then the last moment, which is just brilliant writing and so much counterpoint and just so much energy and such transparency yet brilliance in the writing and excitement. And so it's just one of the great chamber pieces there are. And one of the things that I find so wonderful about Schumann's music that makes him so different from anybody else is that his intimate or personal writing is just much more so than I think even any other composer. And actually, since there's a great quote of Pressler's, he was once talking to us about Schumann, and he described the music of Schumann in a way which I find just very compelling. He was saying, you know, while Beethoven when he writes music, he's talking to the entire universe. Schumann is speaking to every individual in the audience. And I just find that such a compelling and appropriate way to describe Schumann's extremely personal and intimate approach to music. And so we love this quartet and we just love the fact that we were able to put that on the disc with Menachem, which just makes this recording even more special for us personally than it already was, considering that we are recording with Menachem Pressler. Well, Sibi, you talked a bit about the recording session, and the producer-engineer was Judith Sherman. Yeah. Uh, the editor was uh, Bill Malone, who was sitting right here with us. Yep. Uh, Bill, uh, were you at the session? I was at the session, the session for both pieces. They occurred quite a few months apart. Yes, I was there. It was very enjoyable. This was just 10 months ago from the date we were making this recording. The recording was made at our hall at Indiana University. The Brahms was recorded in November of 2014 and the Schumann in May of 2016. Tell us about the Schumann session. How well prepared were they? Were they actually prepared like (laughs) Sibby said they were? They were prepared that well and more. It's such a great piece and just to hear them do the takes of various sections. There were little things that creep in that you want to improve in editing, but overall, each one was a very fine performance on its own, so it was a lot of fun to be there. I noticed it was recorded over two days. Now, for people who have never been to a recording session, the piece is less than a half hour. So what took two days? How's it well, work in there? Sibby kept going out for a smoke. <laughs> Just, uh, we couldn't uh, keep him in his chair. He was really the most proud. No, the way we a- approach these things with Judy and with Jim's the producer as well, you want to do a performance of the movement that you're addressing, and then you have the musicians listen to what they just did, and it's surprising what they find. You hear them do that, and you think, wow, that's really great, and then they come into the room and listen to what they just played, and oh, yeah, he did that, and she did that, and wow. And then they go out, they talk about it, and then they go out and they play it again, and everything they talked about, they fixed. Everything is, is great in the next take of it. But little things creep in here and there. So you do a movement several times, and then you take a break at lunch. Now, I don't want to give away any secrets, but out of curiosity, were any of the movements on this recording, either the Brahms or the Schumann, recorded in one take, or you take a little bit from one take and a little bit from another take and so on? Usually the way it works is when you sit down to, and Jim could jump in and tell me if this is true or not, it seems that there's one take that stands out as a take that you can use to bring little improvements in from other takes. You think of it as your basic take. You start with that. Then you make little fixes here and there for intonation or little noises that creep in that you want to get rid of. 
But yeah, there are representations from many takes in each of the movements. Jim, your take? We usually work through these pieces in sections. So what Bill was saying is for each section, there'll be usually, I think, one take that is the basic one. And then you weave in other takes either to fix mistakes in the one that's the basic take or because there was something really special for a bar or two in the other take that you want to bring in. We also usually record the whole movement in an early take and a late take, and often one of those full takes will also be used in and out of the other takes. And those are very useful also for continuity to make sure everything flows so that when you're working in sections, all the joins, as it were, are well covered. So those full takes often help. Even if you don't use them, they, they help you figure out how the transitions should work. What we've just been describing is a certain process that goes into a recording. Uh, yeah. Many takes, a little take here, we take a little bit from this take, a little bit from that take. Is there anything lost in doing that from the spontaneity and the aliveness of a live performance? Well, I don't think so at all. And actually, that's part of the art of recording and what makes it both so rewarding and also so challenging is every single take, we are doing a performance. So we are trying to recreate the magic that we're trying to convey. What has been so wonderful working with Judy and Jim and Bill is that because sometimes it's a totally different type of playing that you need to do in front of the mic versus the concert hall. Sometimes in a concert hall, for instance, the tempos just need to be slower just because of the acoustics of the hall, just for the clarity. While with the mics right there on top of you, you can actually play maybe a little bit faster. Or in a concert hall, you need to just project more or, or sustain a little bit more. But in the recording process, you can actually play softer or with less articulation or more transparency. So what Bill was referring to, when we do those first takes, we go and listen and then we'll just say, well, actually, even though it sounds basically fine, for the sake of the recording, maybe actually this transition didn't work. Actually, it's unnecessary. We don't have to take as much time as we have to do in the concert hall. Or like, oh, wow, when I played it yesterday at the concert, I really felt strongly that it's better to do this passage in first position on the E string. But maybe with the mic being so closed, I should play it on the A string. So there are these different adjustments that you're making. So then often you know, we'll say, oh, do you guys mind if we do a take where I try it on the A string or do a take where we do a little bit less time in this transition? I find sometimes these recording sessions remind me so much of the rehearsal process because we constantly try to make it better or rediscover things or the whole process. We're taking it apart. But what is so great about the way Sadie works in these recordings is a lot of the times we don't actually know what they're fixing. I mean, I don't know if they are fixing the mixing of the balance, whatever it could be, or there's some kind of sound quality issue that maybe is very apparent with a mic, but not in the concert hall or, you know, whatever. We don't know. So we are just playing and we're trying to make every take a performance. And then Judy or Jim would say, we don't have the third beat of this measure. And so for the recording, we want because it's going to live on forever. And people listen to recordings differently than they do in the concert hall because there are other experiences in a concert hall, the whole visual aspect, the sounds from the hall, the coughing and all that, whatever. But when you're listening to a recording, it's just 100% you're just listening. So for me, it's an incredibly fun process, actually. And what I find interesting, and this surprised me, is after you've done a recording, 
like a piece that you've recorded and then you have to play it, while in certain ways it's very polished and feels incredibly prepared, you have to change the way you play it again <laughs> because certain things just won't work in the concert hall that works so beautifully in the courting. So I don't find it to be lose any spontaneity because one thing which is great about being a quartet that we are rehearsing so much every day that we discuss everything, we try everything. So I feel like a different type of freedom happens in the recording. And then it's up to us performers to make sure that the spontaneity and the creativity and the freedom and all that is not lost because otherwise there's no point of doing it. Nothing can really replace the excitement of the live performance. But often if you have heard something in the hall, things can go by unnoticed, if you come back and listen to a recording of that performance, then you start to notice the flaws and and whatnot. Hmm. Whereas in the recording process, especially with a great producer like Judy Sherman, you can get around that. And you can also try, as Sibby said, different things. In a performance, you can only do things one way. In a recording session, you can try a couple different ways, including ways that you might not try in a concert because you might want to go for some great effect but it's one that will only work one out of every three times, and you're not going to take that risk in a concert. If the other two times, it's going to come out as a total squawk. But you can do that in a recording session, and as long as you have a producer who makes sure that everything works in context, and I should note that Judy Sherman is a five-time winner of the Grammy Classical Producer of the Year Award, then you can take those risks in a recording session. So you really can't come out with a final product that's different from what you might get from a concert performance. And one of the great things about Judy, and actually just with Sadie, is I feel like we don't necessarily know what's being fixed, so we never feel crippled or self-conscious. So we can just play and focus on the music. And we know from talking to other recording artists that that's not always the case. It all becomes looking for some kind of abstract, perfect recording, which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the music. One of the things that we love about recording for Sadie is that it's all about the repertoire, it's all about the music, and then we pick up everything else on the way, but it's all to try to make a musically satisfying performance. Speaking of musically satisfying performances, you mentioned the other three movements of the Schumann Quartet. I thought it might be fun to hear the scherzo because I think it gives the greatest contrast to the performance of the Brahms. It's a very different approach, and of course... This is the quartet that Schumann dedicated to Mendelssohn, and I think you hear that most in the scherzo. Can you talk a little bit about that movement? You're absolutely right. The spirit of Mendelssohn is everywhere because it's fast and it's lively, but then it has some kind of a folksy quality to it as well. There's some kind of robustness to it. And it's interesting the way he notates the title in a fast tempo, but in eighth notes, which has a little bit more weight than if Mendelssohn often notates his scherzos in sixteenth notes, which are lighter. So while there's brilliance and lightness per se, there's some kind of weight to it that gives it a slightly more folksy quality. It's also all in minor. And then we have this really Schumann-esque trio where he uses chromatic harmonies in such a way it creates this complete contrast with the rhythmic scherzo. So I think it's a fantastic movement. And in fact, we use that specific movement very often as an encore just because it's so grabbing and it's so exciting off the bat. Well, that's Sibby Bernardson, who's a violin with the Pacifica Quartet. And we're going to listen now to the complete performance of the scherzo from the String Quartet Number no. 1 in A minor by Robert Schumann. And this is being performed for us on a brand new CD recording. That's a C-E-D-I-L-L-E, and you can find the entire catalog of CD at their website, cdrecords.org. 
The members of the Pacifica Quartet are Simon Ganatra, Sibi Bernardson, who we've been talking with, Masumi Pierre-Rostad, Viola, and Brandon Vemos cello Let's listen now to the scherzo from the Schumann String Quartet Number no. 1 in A minor, Opus 41.
So that was a performance of the String Quartet Number no. 1 in A Minor, Opus 41 by Robert Schumann, the scherzo, and it was performed on this brand-new CD recording by members of the Pacifica Quartet. And we've had the great opportunity of talking with Sibby Bernardson, the second violin of the quartet. Really beautiful performance, Sibby. Thank you very much. So this brings us almost to the end of this podcast, which we do every time a new CD record is coming out, as is this one. This album also contains, and we heard excerpts from, the Brahms Piano Quintet in F minor, and it featured none other than Menachem Pressler in his first recording of this piano quintet. It's on the other side of the CD. Well, it's actually on the same side. (laughs) Showing my age there. (laughs) Sibby, thanks very much for joining us. I wanted to ask you, though, the quartet is a couple years away from a quarter of a century in the business. What's in the future? What are you doing in the next couple of years? We are living in Bloomington, Indiana, where we are on the faculty at the Jacobs School of Music, full-time faculties, and we have individual students, but we also are overseeing the quartet program there. So we are now doing our best to mentor the quartets of the future, and we're very pleased that a few of our quartets are now embarking on their own careers. And then we are going to be continuing our wonderful collaboration with Sadie Records, and we have already been tossing back and forth ideas with Jim about what to record next. We've talked about Snitkes, we've talked about Beethoven's, (laughs) so we are going to be recording a lot, and then we have been keeping a schedule of approximately 80 to 90 concerts a year, and we're going to be continuing doing that. This summer, we're going to be spending a month in Australia, touring Australia, and then we go to Europe for a festival there. And then we are also now, we start a relationship with the Aspen Music Festival where we perform several recitals and then we're also overseeing their intensive quartet seminar. We have a Beethoven cycle in Ravinia. We are going to be presenting Beethoven cycles for the next couple of years in a very condensed way. We are presenting them over a span of three days. So it gives the audience a pretty intense listening experience going through his scope of work in three days. That is more or less what's on the horizon. We just commissioned a cello quintet by Julie Wolf, which we've already started touring. And we have a couple of other commissions. That's too early to uh, make official, but we have been working with couple of foundations and and composers, so we are excited about a few commissions that we have coming up. Very exciting. You guys are very, very busy. Congratulations on a marvelous uh, career and also on this fantastic album on CD that contains music of Brahms and Schumann. Best of luck in everything you do. Thank you. This is a wrap on our podcast featuring this wonderful new CD recording, music of Brahms and Schumann with the Pacifica Quartet and the Brahms. They were joined by Menachem Pressler. Sibby, thanks for your time and good luck. We hope to be talking with you again when you get around to recording your next CD album. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here and nice to talk to you guys. CD Records is a non-profit recording label dedicated to producing classical recordings of the highest quality featuring outstanding musicians from Chicago. Sales of CDs and downloads cover less than 20% of our expenses, so we rely on your charitable contributions to fulfill our mission. Please visit sadierecords.org, that's C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, for more information on how you can support Chicago artists through Sadie.